Good evening, everybody. This is Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the Fruited Plains. This here, live and in person on the video feed that we have for the first time in the show after two years, we have a, a new feature here. This is George N2APB. That's me. And uh, I had intended to have a picture of Joe that I would pick and uh, hold up and show here. Uh, Joe N2CX is our co-host, as we normally have our show here every uh, every other week. And uh, we have a really exciting show for you here. If um, if you are able to see the live uh, live video feed, can anybody uh, let me know if the live video feed is working? We have uh, this is uh, episode number I don't know 65, 64, something like that. We're now into our third year. Third year. By the way, um, I would recommend for those who have the live feed going, click on the loudspeaker to blank George's audio. Otherwise, you'll have audio from both um, TeamSpeak and Quick. You don't want both. It's very confusing. One of George's enough. We're going to have into, um, very short video segments, and I'm recording this introduction here for everybody to give them the lay of the land. What we're going to be doing is recording um, video snippets of special circuits and activities and meters and instrumentation and measurements that we're going to be making here this evening as we actually go through this night's episode, which is troubleshooting techniques live and uh, hopefully uh, you know, successfully being able to see what we're doing here on the bench uh, when we interactively with the group collective wisdom identify what's going um, on in the circuit. Again, the circuit is the... Um, can we see this a little bit? Uh, how low can you go? Okay. So the, uh, the circuit is the crystallizer circuit that's posted on our whiteboard. We're going to be following through the crystallizer circuit uh, pretty carefully. Um, and we'll be taking some ideas and taking some measurements for where to get this thing working. And by the way, Joe, it is not working fully. It, I don't think it ever was. Um, so we can actually debug this, uh, troubleshoot this thing on a very live basis and figure out what's cooking. So I'm going to turn off the video right now just to conserve some video bandwidth and storage. But this is a really cool server. Later on, you'll be able to go back to the Quick server and uh, Quick Stroke w, uh, CWTD. That's our particular uh, area. And uh, you'll be able to click on these different video segments, especially if you're a video podcast or uh, uh, chat with the designer podcaster, you'll be able to go back and actually be a little bit more involved with this than perhaps just with the audio in the past. So uh, we're going to go turn the live video off and then kind of get into some of the, little, uh, the normal background and then such. Stand by just a moment. Okay, Joe, we're, we're back to normal mode and my blood pressure is going back down again. So uh, why don't you, maybe if you could, start off with the usual thing that you and I kind of jaw about. What's the difference between troubleshooting and debugging? Oh, boy. You're hitting my sweet spot here. First of all, i got to preface this with, um, as George did in a previous session, I'm a little loose tonight because uh, I had a good good brew with dinner, a mad elf with dinner. My son managed to find a six-pack of it, so um, I'm tuned up a little bit. Kind of mellow and uh, whatever else. Anyway, what we're doing tonight is um, some troubleshooting. And it's perhaps semantic, but I, uh, I like to distinguish troubleshooting from debugging. I consider debugging as something where you have an unproven design and you're trying to check it out, see if it works. Get the bugs out, get the wrinkles out, some things you may have missed in, in designing or someone missed in designing. Keep something from working. But on the other hand, troubleshooting is taking a circuit or almost anything that um, should work, has been been proven to work, going through and applying some logic to uh, checking out just exactly why it doesn't work. Uh, things to look at, things that uh, you may have uh, built things wrong, you may have put parts in incorrectly, um, you may have not quite understood how everything is connected, And uh, but the object is that troubleshooting has to do with things that uh, have troubles installed or troubles that have happened by um, either error on uh, somebody building something or a defective part, whereas uh, debugging, which is near and dear to my heart, is when you have an unknown design and you're trying to check it out. Um, we have a more or less proven design tonight, the uh, crystallizer, which uh, was an Atlanticon project some years back. Uh, we know that it works. Um, uh, built a whole bunch of them. They all work. But um, George has something on the bench, I hope, with some problems inserted, and we're going to try to go through troubleshooting real time uh, with uh, both our input, and uh, we're going to solicit inputs from some of the group here to um, try to check it out and see uh, just why it doesn't work as we expect. That's right, Joe. And uh, um, this is a circuit that uh, did work before. It's a proven design. 
and I whipped this one up, uh, oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago doing some experimentation. And again, the crystallizer is a 10 megahertz uh, variable crystal oscillator. It's a Colpitts oscillator with a crystal or um, in the feedback path. Um, are actually serving as the uh, uh, as the oscillating uh, element there for the for the oscillator, and um, there is a uh, just a high level description is there's a uh, very cap across uh, some of the frequency determining components there in series with the crystal, and by varying the crystal uh, the very cap voltage, one is able to bend essentially bend the crystal or very slightly adjust the uh, frequency of that oscillator. Um, why the, it can do that is, is too far from this topic here for tonight. We just need to get it working. And we can talk about this in the form of a, of a regular old uh, uh, oscillator. And uh, almost from a, you know, what we did, we don't have time to go through the whole thing, um, but I'm sure you're able to read the, um, we put some troubleshooting tips down below the circuit diagram, and it's kind of all the questions that we normally ask, and frankly, it's going to be some of the questions we do ask here, uh, but you can see what the process is that uh, we would go through in kind of checking out the circuit. This is a pretty cool circuit in that uh, ultimately, once you uh, stabilize it, you can adjust it to exactly 10 megahertz, and maybe if we're lucky, we'll be able to do that here this evening, um, and pump it into a receiver, zero beat it with WWV, and uh, get it really, really close, and if you had that thing temperature stabilized in some fashion, which was the subject of the Atlanticon uh, contest some seven and eight years ago, whenever, um, we could have some fun and actually use it as a reference, a stable reference. So for, um, for the sake of uh, discussion here, let me give a layout of the land or a layout of the bench, as it were. I'm going to turn the video feed on in just a second, and then I'm going to guide you around through the um, through the bench and actually have you see what I see. And then between Joe's guidance and my videography and measurement capability, we're going to probe this circuit to see what its characteristics are first. I mean, I don't know what you would do normally, Joe, but uh, uh, some of my basic tests, uh, after I plug it in and it doesn't work, you know, that's normally the first thing that happens, of course. Uh, I plug a circuit in and, oh, it doesn't work. What do you do? Well, I run through some basic checks of things. Um, maybe you can let us know about that or think about that approach or what you want to do. But let's start with a video walkthrough of the bench. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go horizontal <laughs> and see if that the portrait if horizontal or landscape mode will give us a better job. So uh, stand by here a second. Actually, don't have to stand by too much. I think I'm live right now. So I'm here at my bench, which is a combination. I'll try to keep it steady. This is a combination of my operating bench, which you see my rigs, the SDR cube, uh, K3, P3, power supply, uh, that thing with a, I love blue lights. That blue light there is my amplifier for the, uh, um, for the, um, the sound system that you're hearing right now. And if I come over here, we'll see my measurement side of my bench. Um, there's the scope, and it's actually showing a signal of the crystallizer right now. And uh, if I kind of, I'm gonna have to pivot around here next time later, but a little bit further over is my spectrum analyzer that we're gonna see what the spectral components are of that oscillation. Um, a little bit uh, upper right, you can't quite see it. Uh, it's displaying 000 now is the frequency counter that we will use. And I come down here to the surface of the bench and we see the actual circuit under test. I hope this is well lighted enough such that we can see. I don't know how close I can get before it gets blurry. We will learn. And then ultimately there's a DVM, the favorite DVM in the world. Joe happened to get that for me, oh gosh, a couple of years ago. And it's a Harbor Freight Wonder. Uh, it was like 10 bucks, I think, but really, really good. And I, I love using it. So that's a that's a layout of the bench. And uh, hopefully you can the, the video will pick up some of my voice too. But uh, uh, we'll have it there. So now, Joe, what would you advise for, uh, you know, the first things to be doing? Well, the first thing, I don't see the video. I have a black screen. I hit the play button and had it briefly, and then it disappeared. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there. That's me. Probably some something I have set up in the computer. Well, the very first thing you do uh, when you have a circuit is you, uh, you apply voltage and uh, look to see what you have. Um, well, no. The very first thing you do is to very carefully check the circuit layout. Make sure that all the components are in the right locations, that um, uh, diodes and transistors, ICs, have the correct uh, orientation. They're plugged into the board uh, in the correct way. 
make sure the component values are right. Some of the capacitors can be a little awkward. Um, we had a note, the 22p capacitors have notation 22 on them, and I believe the uh, 220p capacitors say uh, either 221 or 220, so kind of things you have to look for. And then when you apply, uh, when you want to see if it works, the very thing you do is uh, put the uh, apply power to it and uh, see if you get smoke. Um, not sure what George is doing. Uh, let me try to get the video going. Alan had a hint for uh, what to do. Let me try that. Go back to you, George. Okay, maybe it's not worthy of wrapping ourselves around the axle of, of getting the video working. I'm taking the video, and the first one came up, so I suspect the others will be coming along too. And this might be one of the downfalls of a kind of a, a, an infant system like this in that video bandwidth is slow if there's a lot of people hitting it. Uh, we'll see. Um, so I think work with me on this, and you, you know you know what the pictures are. There's I have the preliminary pics there on the on the web on our whiteboard. And then ultimately we'll be able to see it uh, on the QYK, the quick site. So, um, Joe, I, I didn't know what you said. Let me move the microphone over here to the uh, to the bench where I am. And okay, so I'm over here, and um, all the components are in. And by the way, by the way, we have uh, capacitor C3A. C3A is in place. So this is the um, the circuit path. It takes the oscillator. Oh, interesting. Okay, so this is the one that this is the main oscillator output path. If I put a capacitor in C3A, we take the signal off of Q1, the emitter of Q1, and pump it over to the buffer amplifier Q2 in order to see it on the output, and that's what is displayed on the uh, um, on the whiteboard uh, of the photo of the of the scope. And um, if the if the capacitor were in position C3B. I guess, Joe, is we would be taking the output right off of the um, the oscillator, uh, the raw oscillator. I think our note before was that that produces a, a um, oh gosh, I forgot. One, one signal, Joe, is more sinusoidal and pure in frequency, and the other one is um, um, perhaps what I'm displaying there is, is a little bit more ragged. Do you recall? Yes, I do recall. The uh, the uh, position where you couple off the emitter of the oscillator gives you a um, higher amplitude signal, higher amplitude uh, um, signal at the crystal frequency. Um, the second position has a resistor in series with the crystal. Um, the crystal acts as a high Q uh, tuned circuit uh, in addition to its crystal, uh, in, in virtue of its uh, operation as a frequency determining element. It filters out the harmonics, so when you sample off that uh, series resistor, you get a lower amplitude signal but it's a much purer sine wave. Okay, that's good enough for me. Now let's get started. Um, Joe, the signal that's being that's displayed in the scope photo that's right on the website on, on our uh, on our whiteboard, the normal whiteboard photo, is that what you would expect coming off of uh, the emitter of Q1? Yes, uh, into a scope that is about what I would expect. It's an almost pure sine wave with a little bit of distortion to it. Okay. Now I happen to know, and maybe I'll lead my hand just a little bit to to speed things up or to to help make a point. I'm going to make a measure. Oh, this is going to be really difficult. I need to hold DVM probes, the PTT switch on the keyboard, and the video. Um, I told you we would be learning during this episode here, folks, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. Um, shoot, I don't know how to lock transmit on. You need an intern. <laughs> yeah, I need a prayer is actually what I need. Um uh boy clip leads clip leads are wonderful joe give us a little pad or talk a little bit more about the circuit and i'll, I'll be right there momentarily okay sure the circuit is a pretty simple as george mentioned it's a uh it's a uh, what we call a crystal culprit it uses a um a crystal uh, quartz crystal as the frequency determining element uh in an oscillator uh, hooked up in the culprits configuration with a um uh, with a couple of capacitors across the crystal um connected to a transistor and the crystal is operated in its um, parallel resonant mode where it looks inductive so it's the it's the same um, same idea as a an ordinary a culprit's oscillator, we have an inductor with a tapped capacitor, a transistor connected across the uh, tuned circuit with the emitter connected to the uh, tap to give you feedback. But in this case, since the uh, crystal is so high frequency, um, or so high Q, it, uh, it gives you a very, uh, a very accurate um, uh, frequency out uh, locked to the crystal frequency, which can be bent a little bit as we do in uh, this circuit by varying the uh, capacitance uh, uh, across the crystal. Um, got things straightened up, George? 
Well, I guess he's still got his uh, lip leads going. This is interesting. <laughs> this is how you learn. This is how you learn what uh, what does and doesn't work. We'll uh, we'll get the wrinkles ironed out here. But it's kind of neat um, to look um, uh, basically real time at what's happening here and uh, see what kind of things work and what kind of things don't work. Um, so in in essence, we're uh, we're debugging the process because this is something that's not necessarily known to work, and we're uh, trying to do what it whatever it uh, takes to make it uh, play. Are you ready yet, George? Yes, I am, Joe. And I'm actually uh, recording now. Um, I'm not sure if anybody can see me live in real time, so I'll, I'll, navig I'll narrate what we're seeing. And for the purpose of the video downstream, you'll be able to actually see and uh, correspond, correlate to the discussion now. So what I did, and this is really strange, Joe. This is, uh, folks, this is all new territory. This is this is virgin troubleshooting, is if you will, whereby we have a circuit that I thought was work that, that I thought was not working, and it has suddenly started working a little bit more. When I was measuring the output of U1, the 78LO5, I was measuring its output bus at about 2.7 volts. So now all of a sudden I'm measuring, as you can see if you're seeing the video, at 4.94. So we're back up to a 5 volt bus coming out of the U1. And uh, the circuit, as I'm, can we see that there? Focus. Come on, man, focus. Um, okay, there's a little focus point. You can see where the red clip lead is on the 5-volt bus. It's on the capacitor C7, and we indeed have 5 volts. So I'm going to turn the video off and um, ultimately turn it back to you, Joe. What could be taking down the voltage off of U1? Because I was thinking that U1 would probably be... Uh, um, if U1's voltage was low as it was before, that would provide the lower, lower, or the perhaps a strange oscillation there, as we're seeing on the scope, which hasn't changed by the way. Um, but um, now U1 is back up to its out proper output level, and the scope is the same uh, waveform. And by the way, I, I also measured that on the on the frequency counter, as the other photo on the website shows, and we are like uh, 9.9991 uh, megahertz. And uh, so it's, it's indeed oscillating at its fundamental frequency. Okay, Joe. I got lost a little bit in what you're uh, doing. Uh, the video is back. I, I clicked a couple things and it's back now. So uh, what were you saying about the, the voltage going to uh, 2 volts? Well, earlier, actually last night and then earlier this evening, after I rushed home, I measured that output and it was still at 2.7 volts. So the oscillator was still oscillating at, uh, when being supplied with 2.7 volts. However, when I went to put the clip lead and such on, maybe I wiggled the cold solder joint or something. Now it's up to 5 volts and I still have the same quality of the uh, sinusoid wave on the oscilloscope. So it, the lower voltage didn't seem to be causing much of a problem, but it certainly was not uh, correct. And since I'm taking, as the circuit does not show, the circuit diagram, I'm taking the, uh, the I have a pot going from the 5 volt bus down to ground, and the trimmer, um, the uh, wiper of the, of the pot is feeding the adjust line, pin 1, on P1. And um, I'm doing it right now. I'm not showing it, but it, it wiggles. It, it changes the scope a little bit, the scope uh, display, but not uh, not significantly from a frequency standpoint. So I'm not sure that the the pot adjust is changing the or bending the crystal too much. So the bottom line question is, I'm wondering if there's a cold solder joint on the 5-volt bus, and when the voltage is low, how could it affect the circuit's operation? Yeah, it could be a number of things, and... I'm trying to trying to get get the video working. The video is an old um, it's an old copy of what you were doing. Uh, it's it's not uh, not real time. At any rate, a couple things that could happen. It could be a cold solder joint, which is a little surprising because that'd have to be pretty high voltage. Um, two other things could be happening to give you uh, the problems you're seeing. Number one would be a uh, partial short circuit on the five volt line, something that um, uh, causes the uh, regulator output to drop low. Or indeed, the um, uh, you could have a bypass capacitor. I believe it's C7. If that capacitor were either defective, the wrong value, or open-circuited, the uh, regulator itself could be oscillating at VHF. Um, so you'd have 5 volts coming out, and indeed the oscillator might work, but um, the indicated voltage could be uh, quite low because of oscillation in the regulator. Not sure which you had, but um, uh, you know that's some of the things that, that could happen. Hey, Joe, here's another clue. I'm pointing the vi live video feed now to my power supply, and if you all can see it, it looks like it's supplying five, uh, uh, 10 mils, 9 or 10 mils 
with the circuit operating here. So another clue, another clue that this uh, circuit is a, it's not pulling the, you know, it's not pulling scads of current and thus pulling down the the, the power supply line is uh, that we're supplying nine mils. And if I recall right, that was one of the standard. That uh, was kind of an accepted uh, value for this when uh, we were guiding other people as far as how did it work. Yeah, that's about the right uh, the right current value. I see some of the uh, some of the guys have uh, some hints on um, what else could be wrong. Uh, Alan W2AEW uh, says, do, you know, do you have a miswired pot to be causing problems? And uh, Pete says, uh, do you have a bad ground on Q1, the regulator? So um, yeah, Heyman uh, chimes in with that too. That indeed caused caused the uh, the output voltage to uh, to look funky, um, uncertain. But uh, you say it's working now. Is there anything uh, mechanically intermittent? I don't think so. It's a possibility because uh, I was modifying the circuit a little bit here and there. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm going to take a look at it. At one point, I thought one uh, Q Q Q Q Q Q one might have been uh, snapped. I think I did that when I I had to replace. I had to replace Q1 a while back on this one, but uh, I think it's okay now. It might be the pot. Um, I'm going to take the old uh, the old cut cut out uh, approach and see if that uh, modifies things. That's a good uh, good idea, Al. Uh, Alan, let's uh, let's try that. Joe, take it just for a second. I'm going to get the side cutters. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, type while I'm uh, I'm doing it here. Yeah, some of the comments were <clears throat> about the. Uh, uh, <laughs> about the uh, uh, regulator. Indeed, if if uh, the ground leg of the regulator were open, uh, I wouldn't expect it down to 2.9 volts, but uh, you certainly would not have proper regulation. Um, and Alan, AEW, asked if, uh, very cogent question, is the uh, main supply current limited? If indeed um, you had the current limit set way low on the um, on the power supply that you're feeding the circuit with, um, it could uh, starve the regulator or starve the whole circuit, and uh, you wouldn't be able to get um, full voltage to it. But um, you know that's just in the realm of uh, things that uh, things possibilities for things that could go wrong. I used to work with a DSP engineer some oh back in the, my dialogic days uh, up in Jersey uh, 15 18 years ago. Her name was Way Low, so that just kind of triggered me when you said that uh, maybe that voltage was uh, way low. So uh, the pot's wired okay. I separated something that just uh, seemed to work okay. Let me uh, let me see if I can uh, do it here. Um, okay, folks, the the live video feed should be going again. We see that, let's see, I put the clip lead. Oh, I've got to hold it steady there. I put the clip lead on um, on the uh, control voltage line coming, that's the wiper of the pot, going to R10. That's R10 hanging out over the edge of that board at a different angle that uh, I'm clipped to, and I have uh, 3.64 volts. Now, here's where I, even with the clip lead, I'm not able to... What I'm gonna to try to do. This will be fun. I'm gonna, no, I can't do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to release the uh, the PTT, but I'm gonna keep the video going here. So hang on. By the way, the live video is working again. Don't know what you did. I guess you shut it off and turned it back on, but we can see your meter at 3.64 volts. So what I did is, um, and I just ended the live video segment. What I did is I ver with the clip lead on um, R the left end of R10, that 100k resistor. I was able to vary the pot and the voltage of the control voltage there on the wiper went all the way from zero up to five volts. So that uh, verifies, Alan, that the pot is working okay. It doesn't seem to be, I don't think it's loading anything down because we have five volts coming out of the regulator and we have a zero to five volt variable voltage going to the uh, MVA on MV901 or whatever that variac is, uh, D1, uh, B204. <laughs> so uh, that's not the, the problem. Um, at this point here. So Joe or anybody, I, I, I can't look at the chat window. So you guys are going to have to kind of speak up or Joe, you can read it or something. What do we do next here? Um, a, I'm not able to vary the frequency. I'll, I'll verify that in a moment. I'm, I'm not able to vary the frequency or not able to bend the frequency. And in my opinion, that, that voltage looks, uh, the waveform looks uh, too ratty. I'm going to move over. Oh, I can't do that. Yes, I can. I'm going to move the scope over to the, uh, to the emitter resistor R5 and see if it's a cleaner waveform. What do you think about that, Joe? Well, let's see. R5 is not the emitter resistor. 
Um, R2 and R8 are the emitter resistors. R5 is, okay, R5 is the um, the output from the, uh, using the crystal as a filter. Yeah, that, that might be a good place to look. Should be a pretty clean sine wave. And um, uh, in answer to uh, Nigel's, in answer to Mike's question, nominally we expect something like a 500 hertz change in the frequency as we vary zero to five volts on the uh, Veracap. Um, how's, it, how's it look now, George? All right, I suppose he's still checking there. It's not intended to be a wide uh, wide range VCO here. The object of uh, this and the um, Atlanticon uh, session was to encourage folks to build a um, some sort of temperature compensated uh, crystal oscillator with some well, um, um, with some uh, variable uh, yeah, thermistors or some other uh, device that changed voltage with um, uh, frequency in order to try to um, uh, compensate the frequency of the uh, to have the frequency um, uh, adjusted to uh, a nominal value as temperature change to stabilize it. Um, not sure what, um, yes, Jay says, uh, first step in problem solving is to define the problem. Um, what is the problem? Back to you, George. Okay, the problem is, is that that circuit, uh, the uh, the oscillation doesn't look overly great to me. So maybe the circuit's really working, and I was, uh, I, I fooled myself too much by thinking that I had 2.7 volts coming out of the U1 to begin with, and that was going to be the fault that we uh, that we researched. So maybe the, maybe the sucker is working. So maybe we can just go through the circuit and verify that things are working as they should be. So with that hat on, um, and actually this is going to be kind of cool. Hang on a second. We talk about hat on. I'm going to turn my video feed around. And the video feed is on again, and uh, talk about with one with a hat on. Uh, what you can see is a staple of my uh, workbench, and that's magnifying magnifying headset. If you don't have one of these, man, you've got some better eyes than I do. I need this to see the circuit details and so on. So I'm going to turn the circuit back, uh, turn the camera back around. Okay, now I'm pointing back here. What I did um, is I have the scope probe. It's difficult to see. I got to get the better lighting next time. Um, Get a different angle. The scope probe is on R5, which is the circuit, the resistor taking the the crystal signal to ground. And I look up here. You're going to love this, guys. Perhaps Alan too. There's the signal on the scope. It doesn't look too good. Obviously, the signal is way, way, way down. I need to uh, adjust my my frequency, uh, adjust my vertical gain, and I'm going to do that. Watch this. This is cool. I gotta go silent on the audio part, but you'll hear it if you're watching the video live. Stand by. George Allen has a cogent comment. Um, your picture is upside down. And there we have, um, and there we have the scope signal now, which is a nicer sound, a sinusoid wave. So, Joe, that part of the theory indeed holds true. And uh, I'm going to switch over to on my measurement scope. I'm going to switch to quick measure, and now I see that the well, the period. Actually, the frequency is uh, very close to 10 megahertz. It's varying a little bit. My peak-to-peak -peak waveform is about 142.3 millivolts. And um, I guess that's all that's really of value now. So I got 100, 150 millivolts peak-to-peak. -peak, and uh, so I verified that the oscillator itself is working pretty well. I'm going to turn the video feed off. By the way, everybody, if you uh, get a chance to comment on the usefulness or the value of this, even you know, kind of pretending that we the cameraman gets a little bit better in the future. You know, the value of seeing video like this uh, live in real time might be kind of interesting, especially when it comes time to be talking about some special circuits or, you know, how the LEDs on your Arduino clock working and what about the wiring for this and that. Um, kind of lends a little bit more credit, even more credibility to the uh, to the show, to the topic that's being discussed. Okay, back to the ranch here. So, um, Joe, let's talk a little bit about that um, Q2 amplifier. Um, I tried, just a bit of background, <clears throat> I tried to be kind of uh, real tricky. We're going to throw this thing on the spectrum analyzer in just a moment since we have some oscillation. But as a, pre, uh, as a uh, preamble to that, I tried to be tricky, and I put a pot in place of R6 and R7 last week, actually. And uh, for the main purpose of trying to overdrive or underdrive Q2, driving it into saturation, thus creating more um, uh, spectrum artifacts, spectral artifacts, spectrum artifacts. And uh, indeed it worked, but uh, 
in general, I wasn't as pleased with how it worked as, as, as I might have been. So can you give us a purpose for the Q2, the biasing, you know, directly midpoint in the, um, from the rails? And uh, what would we expect that to be doing? I think as, we're, as we saw and the main, uh, uh, the more triangular signal waveform on the scope that's on the website, on the whiteboard. What about Q2, Joe? Okay, the purpose for Q2 is really to isolate the, uh, the oscillator circuit from external circuitry. It, uh, to some degree, it provides a high impedance load on uh, the output of the oscillator. Um, so that um, something you do on the output, if you're driving another circuitry, it doesn't feed back and load down the uh, either the amplitude or the uh, um, frequency of the uh, of the oscillator itself. Um, it has a downside when you go large signal, like we're doing here with a couple of volts peak to peak. It has a an unsymmetrical um, drive capability to the load. Try to drive a 50 ohm load, for example, on the positive cycle. Q2 will will uh, be in its active region and uh, give you uh, at least somewhat of a positive uh, cycle. But on the negative cycle, the, lone, the uh, coupling capacitor, the output coupling capacitor, has to discharge back through the emitter resistor. So you have an unequal impedance on positive and negative cycles. For small signals, it's not a problem. But for large signals like we're doing, it is a problem. So it's not, it's not really designed to operate into a 50 ohm load. So it will indeed add some distortion into low impedance loads. Secondly, the output of the oscillator itself is not a pure sine wave when you take it from the emitter of the uh, Q1. Um, nonlinearities in there are introduced. It introduces nonlinearities uh, in itself in, in uh, stabilizing its bias to keep, uh, to keep oscillating and, and not uh, go rail to rail. So it's not a pure sine wave. Uh, but as I say, if you uh, try to load the emitter follower output down with even lower impedance, a much lower impedance, the waveform will go all to heck. And uh, George indeed may have a uh, um, they have a picture of that. And as I see, the usual, Alan has a, um, a video tutorial on common emitter, common collector, and common base transistor amp configurations on YouTube. So um, check the chat box for, uh, for the link to that. Thank you, Alan. All right. I'm getting my cables extended over here so I can do my thing. And I can do three things at once. Joe, you'll get a really kick out of this. Because now, folks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to activate. Okay, I'm going to activate the video feed. The video feed is live. And uh, we are going to look at the spectrum analyzer. Uh, I hope this is in focus enough or... I'm not sure how much video granularity we're going to be able to get. But what we see here is a 10 megahertz signal. And I actually took the output uh, the, off of R5. So we have the nicer signal uh, coming in. And we see two, well, we, we see the, uh, oh gosh, I've adjusted things. I've got a span of 107, about 100 megahertz across, which means each division is 10 megahertz. And son of a gun, of course, we've got a 10 megahertz signal. So we're seeing the fundamental, I'm sorry, we're seeing zero frequency as the main peak. And the two main peaks off to the right and the left are, are the images, as is the signal and its image, negative image, um, there on the, uh, on the scope. The most important part, and if I had a third or fourth hand, I could be turning some dobs, knobs at the same time. You see the spectral components way down uh, off to the right. They're, one, uh, they're 10, 20, 30 dB down. It looks like it's 30 decibels down from the... Uh, uh, from the fundamental at 10 megahertz, and uh, I see one, two, three spectral, and it looks like they're spaced out at dun, da, 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 10 megahertz intervals. So, Joe, do you want to comment on the spectral comment, uh, the spectral content of our uh, of our uh, crystallizer, the XL? Sure. Um, will indeed, George. Yeah, as Alan pointed out, uh, by the way, uh, to give a, um, a spectrum analyzer picture that's a little more um, understandable, you want to expand the span to uh, something like 50 megahertz and slide it so that the DC is down at the left-hand edge of the scope. So then what you will see is um, just the right-hand side of the spectrum, which you normally expect, uh, with uh, 10 megahertz as the, uh, as the signal of interest, and then the harmonics from there. Um, I assume, uh, although I don't know, I haven't kept track, that um, what George did was to look at the, uh, the uh, output from the, um, with the crystal in series, the uh, C3B circuit, where the crystal acts to uh, knock down the harmonics so you get a pretty pure uh, representation of the signal um, without too many harmonics. Um, it's not a perfect uh, filter, but at least um, you have harmonics down 30 dB or more. Um, as a sidelight, um, 
just for uh, uh, just I've discovered the way to get the updated videos when George turning off the turns on and off the video what you have to do is when he says he's turned the video back on you have to go to your browser you have to refresh and then you click on the new uh, video segment and you'll get the new live video segment so every time he turns it off and turns it back on you have to do this action to uh, get the video to work and I turned off and turned on the video while you were speaking, Joe, and I narrated a little bit just to kind of describe to anybody watching the video alone. So indeed I did. That would have been my next step is to put the DC component at the left hand of the, left hand of the screen. And then it uh, indeed shows uh, the 10 megahertz signal um, at the second, roughly, at the second division, which with uh, oh, my span is at uh, about 50 megahertz so you guys are right so that shows a 10 megahertz uh, main signal with the spurs um, off to the right and that's kind of like the typical signal that we deal with so can you comment on the quality of this uh, oscillator joe relative to what we see on the uh, on the on the spectrum analyzer screen uh, uh the, the quality is not bad although the, the picture of the video is uh kind of jumpy and at the moment it's i'm refreshing here um uh, I get a, uh, I think the camera jiggled a little bit. Um, indeed, you get a main main bang, the 10 megahertz signal. Um, come on, thing. You get a 10 megahertz signal that is uh, reasonably reasonably uh, clear on the picture. If the picture would come up, then you can see how far down each of the uh, succeeding harmonics is. Now, I only get a snapshot. I don't get a uh, continuing video. But it looks like the um, second harmonic is 30-some dB down. Third harmonic is a tad less than 30 dB down. And the uh, fourth harmonic then is about 40 dB down. So it's a relatively clean signal, although not uh, not perfect. Okay, good. Uh, for those of you refreshing um, or uh, along the way, I just uh, I snapped another video, live video feed. Um, and you can probably see that. And as Joe was speaking, I was pointing to the various uh, components there on the screen, and I was trying to keep it, keep the video a little bit, uh, uh, the camera a little bit steady. This service, by the way, QIK, is uh, uh, only, to my knowledge, uh, allows you to use an iPhone as a camera. It's sort of like, uh, you know, you whip out your camera and you can take a quick video wherever you may be. And uh, voila, it's posted onto your website, uh, quick.com stroke, whatever you've done. And uh, you can try this yourself, too, with your own little website for free. And you have like maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 different videos that you can post. Um, this thing here, since I'm posting a lot and hope to be, once I perfect things, is uh, um, 4 95 a month. And uh, I can think of some other uses for this, too, that Joe and I are going to explore. And maybe we'll be able to take even more advantage of it. Uh, nonetheless, back to the ranch here, we've got the Spectrum uh, um, display now. Um, what I'm going to do next is... Uh, I'm going to, let's measure some frequency, Joe. I'm actually going to move the scope probe over to my, um, it's not an El Cheapo, but it's an oldie but goodie uh, HP uh, frequency counter, auto scaling. And uh, we're going to see if turning the pot that we have adjusted for uh, supplying a variable voltage to the adjust line of the oscillator does anything. And I think what might be the case, I'll have to adjust the um, uh, the sampling of the frequency counter in order just to see the lower significant digits, not the upper significant. We won't see movement in the megahertz or even 100 or 10 or even 1 kilohertz region, uh, but maybe we'll see something lower than that if I turn the uh, adjust. So, Joe, talk about... Uh, something <laughs> if, if uh, relative to the circuit perhaps and i'll get things set up for the next measurement all right very good yes um uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is interesting this is an interesting process yeah the um what george is doing now is he's going to hook his frequency counter up to uh, up to the oscillator circuit and it's a i suspect it's a 10 times probe which uh, is not compensated to match the frequency counter input but I think just the uh, straight capacitance of the probe, um, well, long, a complicated thing, but there's a uh, 10 meg, a 9 meg resistor in series inside the probe with the output, but there's a capacitor across that, that on the scope is used for uh, frequency compensation. I think there'll be enough low buy on that uh, capacitor to uh, feed a signal to the counter so that the counter will read properly. And uh, it's pretty high impedance, so it's not going to load down the, uh, the output of the oscillator or to pull the oscillator in frequency. Um, the idea of the um, using a varicap, a voltage variable capacitor in the oscillator, is to vary the uh, capacitance across the crystal. Um, and since the crystal is operating as a, um, in its inductive uh, region of impedance, 
it acts, the um, capacitance in parallel acts like a parallel tuned circuit. So as you pull the uh, frequency, change the voltage variable capacitor um, voltage to adjust its capacitance, it will change the oscillation frequency of the, uh, of the oscillator. Since the change is relatively small, it's not going to change the, the uh, frequency an awful lot. It will um, it'll change it um, on the order of a couple hundred hertz if all things work well. Um, if uh, you've got your toes crossed right, if the moon's in the right phase, and if, um, if the temperature outside is not low enough that everything freezes all the heck and back. Okay, Joe, can you hear me? Just speak up. Yes, indeed. Okay, good. I've got it on continuous transmission, so I've freed up one of my three hands. And uh, I can do this. This is so cool. I'll tell you guys, this is, once we get the hang of this, you got, oh, you don't know what we're going to be able to do with this thing here. Okay, so um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to turn on the video. The video is live. And by the way, here's the rest of my messy bench. Dun, da, da, da. See an awful lot of stuff in progress. Oh, man. Micro 908 uh, debugging. Uh, RF power cube is in progress and looking good. Benches uh, all messy over here with uh, my little keyboard for new PSK development uh, going on. There's there's something cool. We talked about this one time. It's a step attenuator that I have taking video. Uh, not video, but um, let's see. RF, RF in here through a really cool 10. 40 dB tap that Joe built for me uh, one time, and I've got a tap that knocks that. This tap knocks it down by 40 dB, adds another maybe 60 dB through the through the step attenuator, and then goes over to um, my rig antenna two input on the rig, such that whenever I transmit on the on the uh, SDR cube, I'm able to determine my audio quality by listening on my rig. It's just way cool. Okay, so here we go. Over here we have. Um, Ooh. Okay, over here we have the frequency counter, and I adjusted that thing to show the least significant digits. So we are at a frequency of 99.999, oh shucks, I don't know, point, uh, uh, this is at the one hertz. This is at, we're showing at the hertz. 10.999 uh, megahertz, and the last three digits are hertz. Three, okay, so we're at, at, at and 174 hertz. So let me adjust the trim pot. If you can see that, I'll, hold, I'll try to hold it steady. I'm, the trim pot is at full clockwise. The full, actually, I think that's, I wired the pot backwards. I think that's neg, uh, zero voltage. So if I increase the voltage, I see the frequency go down, 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 down. And obviously, I'm going in the wrong direction if I want to get this this uh, guy on 10.000000 megahertz. And there it is at the other extreme. I'm moving it faster now. Okay, the other extreme is 9... Um, 99.9998812. Um, so we wanted that thing to go up to nine like that. And I wanted to go another 836 hertz and I can't do it. So this is interesting, Joe. Uh, this brings up a point. What do we do if this 10 megahertz oscillator cannot go high enough with the, uh, adjust that we've given to it? What do we do next? There's a parallel capacitor on the, um, it is, it is C5. C5. If you have, if you have C5, C5 um, in, there, in there, it will it work with well frequency. frequency. Uh, if, uh, you if you don't, don't and the other, the other option, option is to stick, stick um, uh, the capacitor in the L1 position. When you put the capacitor in the L1 position, it'll raise the frequency a little bit, but uh, lower the amount of adjustability, and that has to be empirical. You have to put something like uh, 20 puffs in there, try it, uh, see if uh, that works, maybe 10 puffs or 30 puffs. Just diddle around with it until you get it uh, centered with a pot centered on um, uh, its mid-position at exactly 10 megahertz. It depends to some extent on the tolerance of the crystal. Okay, um, that's good. A, it's good to know that um, this is remediable and um, that's the way to do it. I will give that a try. Not right now. There's not enough time or I'm running out of energy and hands to be doing things here, but uh, that's good to know. I will try it and I will report back to the team here and see how close we can get it. Um, could I do it? Could I do it? Is there a way? If there's some more material that we can talk about, Joe, I might try to take the output of this oscillator and feed it over to my receiver through that, uh, uh, through that tap and uh, maybe hear the signal. And that would be an interesting thing because I could move the adjust pot while listening to the tone, and that would be a great indication of variability of this particular oscillator. But anyways, I thought 
since I'm not going to make any more measurements and such here, um, I'm wondering if anybody has any, if we could open this thing up here and have, uh, I'm back at my tube now, and if there's any discussion, um, that uh, any questions that would be raised and, you know, kind of uh, open it up as it were. Go ahead. I think everybody is dazzled, George. Well, if everybody's dazzled, I'm not going to bother going through and putting that onto the receiver. Then I, oh, Alan, what's up? Yeah, I was just going to say you could uh, you could listen to it uh, either in single sideband or CW mode, um, so you could essentially hear you know you'd, you'd beat against it with your product detector and the BFO, and then you could hear yourself tune it up or down. So um, you'd be able to certainly listen to uh, the tuning aspect of it that way. I guess the other comment I was going to make, if, I'm not sure where you've left the scope probe, but if the probe is still sitting uh, across R5, you're, at, you're adding effectively about 10 picofarads of capacitance to ground uh, through that, that scope probe. That's about what the loading of most of those passive 10x probes are. So that might affect how far you can tune it as well. Great point. Um, okay, I, I just connected things back up real quick again. And I can still, I forgot what the frequency was. This is, that's a really good point. I think you guys love to correct me or tell me. I think we had a 0.127. Anyways, the maximum frequency I can get to now is 9999999.168. So if that differs any, that the difference can be attributed right there to the capacitance because I moved it to the output buffer amplifier. Anybody recall what that frequency was that I was measuring? I wouldn't expect a loading across the 12 ohm capacitor to be all that significant. Just uh, leads laying around the cap, uh, laying around the circuit would cause as much change. But I don't remember what the frequency was. Yeah, it's just uh, just to bring the point up that you, know, you have to be careful when you're working with uh, you know RF circuits that uh, your 10x probe, you know, while it has a 10 megohm input impedance at DC, a lot of the 10x probes are you know between 10 and 15 picofarads input capacitance, and uh, so you have to think about how your circuit will react with that amount of capacitance to ground <laughs> at that point. You know, if only uh, tech would come up with a cheap, low-capacitance probe that uh, us poor mortals could afford, um, it would uh, obviate some of those problems. Yeah, well, yeah, the active probes aren't cheap, but uh, you can do that trick that I mentioned earlier. Um, if, uh, for, you know, like, for example, if you're driving the input of a spectrum analyzer at 50 ohms or something like that, you know, a 450 ohm resistor in series with just the coax going to the uh, going to the spectrum analyzer means that the circuit will see a 500 ohm load with uh, that looks pretty darn resistive, uh, and, and many times circuits can drive that okay. And there's usually enough dynamic range in a spectrum analyzer to to easily accommodate the 20 dB loss that you'd have. Uh, if, five, if 500 ohms is still a little bit too heavy, you know, increase the resistor to about 950 ohms, and then that would be a 1k ohm load, which should be fine for almost any circuit that are running at RF frequencies. Uh, and again, with a spectrum analyzer, you probably can account you know, for the, uh, the resistive you know, divider loss that you have. You know, may not be able to look at things on a scope at that point, but uh, there's, there are ways around things, but you, know, but you do have to always take care of uh, you know, what the probe is going to do to your circuit. You know, it's that old uh, you know, Heisenberg uncertainty principle, right? Indeed. That's why RF is so much fun. Can I get butt in here for a second? Uh, just um, one thing made me think of... Uh, I think I read the Bob Pease uh, troubleshooting book, and uh, he suggests, well, he's the late Bob Pease, suggests a JFAT source follower buffer, which gets you down in the range of a couple of uh, picofarads, I think. If you if you uh, build one of those, you can build it into a, a stick or something like that and just have the JFAT gate sticking out. It might be worth looking into if you want to be able to probe stuff without uh, loading it too much. Good point, Eamon. And uh, in fact, how do you pronounce your name? I uh, I pronounce it Eamon or Yaman. What's the right way? It's Eamon. Okay. Amen to that, Eamon. All right. Yes. I see. Uh, <laughs> I see. Alan put the link for the uh, the Pease book. It is indeed a great book. I bought it as soon as it came out. And in fact, about a week ago, I sent the um, uh, Bob Pease's circuit for that uh, uh, JFET probe to George so that uh, if he had time, he could build it up and uh, possibly use it for the show. Very good circuit. And thanks for the uh, reminder, Eamon. All right. I'm going to go on the uh, last cool test here. Okay. I'm on continuous transmit. I'll come over here. I have indeed hooked up the output of the oscillator through my hooked up the oscillator output to you can't you cannot follow it from the uh, cabling to my 40 dB tap through the step attenuators which is all the way down. There's there's no uh, there's no attenuation there. It's only feeding through to antenna input number two of the rig shown right here, a 10 uh, Kenwood uh, TS 2000. 
and uh, there I think I can get an angle. You can see the frequency dial. I have this thing zero beat. And Alan, thank you very much. Um, as far as getting using the product detector for a tone, I have it zero beat so that there's um, the frequency of the oscillator is showing there on the on the on the rig at nine point nine nine eight point eight five or eight five zero is as close as I can read it there. And if I move a little bit off frequency, hopefully you can hear that. I'm sure you can hear it now. And um, what I will do, so I moved a little bit off frequency, but now I'm going to change the, uh, I'm going to vary the pot. So I'm varying the, I'm bending the crystal, folks. We are bending crystals here at uh, Shea N2APB. And uh, what that, of course, is doing is modifying the, um, the crystal oscillator frequency a little bit, and we can determine it kind of like how much by the changing of the audio tone. So that is way cool. The last measure, the last uh, measurements here on the bench, and I think we have a, a working circuit, folks. Uh, to the best of my ability to make it not work and to stump Joe, I was not able to do that. But uh, be that as it may, the experiments were good here, I think. Okay, folks, that uh, that that wraps up the uh, the uh, the experimental portion of tonight's show. And um, Joe, maybe uh, maybe you want to wrap it up there for us. Sure, George. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun here. <laughs> we um, um, George really tried something to uh, stretch the limits here on on this session. We had a um, a live demonstration of some troubleshooting, some um, fiddling around with the circuit to see what would happen, and. Um, yeah, I, I made a wrong reference in the uh, chat window. It was um, Outer Limits, not Twilight Zone. Oh, well, anyway, um, we um, we showed a circuit live with uh, George using his iPhone to uh, video through a, a service called uh, QIK, where we could actually watch him doing things on the bench, hooking up a live circuit, doing measurements on it, tweaking and twiddling, and um, troubleshooting to see what was and was not working in a circuit. Um, soliciting comments from uh, from the peanut gallery here, uh, some excellent feedback to um, guide our efforts for what we're doing. And um, along the way, we we're also able to um, debug the process of using QAK to um, to demonstrate exactly what's happening. So we've broken some new ground here. Um, appreciate uh, you guys participating. And uh, I think we're going to use this more in the future to, um, to do some more uh, live uh, demonstrations of um, exactly what's happening with the circuit or uh, or whatever to um, to further uh, the chat with the designer series and to get more involvement and some even better some instant feedback on what's going on thank you all for participating uh, this is uh, Joe and 2CX going to turn it back to George for any uh, final comments indeed Joe thanks very much for uh, working with me on this sometimes I come up with some wacky ideas and by the way the video feed is on we're going to wave a, a final goodbye to all of the podcasters and you all who are able to look at the video feed live had a good time here tonight experimented with a new technology and uh heck this is pretty cool i think i, I think there the lot can be done with this i hope that the quick service stays going for a while um sometimes these services go down after a while or the videos go away we'll see how long it lasts but we enjoyed uh being here with you tonight we'll try to do more of this live in the future thank you one and all for attending chat with the designers here on November 26, 2013, troubleshooting live, quite literally live, and we'll see you later. Good night, all. Mm -hmm.